Hey everybody, welcome to Bridgeway Community Church. First of all, let me thank uh, our COO, Frank Easton, for his message last week on Father's Day. Let me also thank all of you who were with me two weeks ago when I did a message called Little Did I Know. That message was not just a sermon in and of itself, but it really was a turning point for our ministry and our church. To say all these years as we have been trying to embrace gracism, we need to make sure we do more, not just to live together in unity, but to make sure we fight for the justice of all people, including black lives. And so as we go into a brand new series for the summer, I want you to know I'm all in. Taking a summer break normally every year for several weeks and I go get vision and I say, God, where do we go next year? God's already told me where we're going next year. Already got a theme for the next year. I'll share more of that with you later, but we're gonna now go into a seven week series with our clergy of the church, our pastors, our ministers, the people who are really your spiritual parents, the people who are your spiritual brothers and sisters to help you grow in your faith, to walk with you, talk with you, pray for you, and maybe even sometimes cry. The series is called, God is leading me to share this with you. And the this is a wide open blank. Whatever that clergy person believes God wants them to share with us, our ears are wide, our eyes are wide open, our ears are wide open. We are hearing it and listening to it and saying, God, teach us from your word. Why? Jesus says that my words are spirit and life. Isaiah says that when the rain goes down and when the snow goes down, it doesn't return empty. It actually does what it's called to do. And that the word of God is just like that. That when God sends his word, it never goes back to heaven and returns empty. When God's word goes out, it always accomplishes and achieves what it was intended to do. And our pastors and our ministers have been saying, God, what should what should I say? What are you leading me to say to the body of Christ at Bridgeway Community Church? And what are you leading me to say through Bridgeway Community Church to the rest of the world? And so God has invested a word in each one of these amazing people. And what I've asked them to do is to take five to seven minutes and bring you a word. And then the rest of us are gonna have a discussion about that word. This is an experiment. Maybe, just maybe, we should just do this all the time. But it's almost like a team teaching approach. It's almost like you're sneaking in, not only to hear God's word, but to hear through conversation thoughts that might not other, otherwise come. In fact, I encourage you to have conversations around your dinner table, around your lunch table today. Uh, maybe while you're sitting in the living room, I know me, uh, my wife, kids, our animals, we sit there and after the service is over, sometimes we're talking, sometimes we're crying, sometimes we're praying. Speaking of praying, I'm going to pause right now and then I'm going to call up our first clergy person who's going to share with us and that's going to be Pastor Scott Garber. He's out of Washington, D.C. He's been with our church for a very long time. He's one of our pastors at large, and him and his wife, uh, Cindy, are just beloved people uh, at Bridgeway Community Church. And so I cannot wait to hear what God's word is through Pastor Scott to all of you and to me as well. Oh, one last thing. 
the people that have left our church since the message I gave, I bless you and our clergy bless you, our elders and our elders council of women bless you. We hold no contempt with anybody that's not called to go to the next level with us. And for those of you that wrote me and said, you know, Doc, I'm with you. We're ready to go to the next level. For all of my white brothers and sisters who have been such an encouragement to say, no, I'm going to the next level with you. For African-Americans who have said, Doc, you put voice to what I was feeling. I just didn't know how to articulate it. To my Hispanic and my Asian brothers and sisters and those that are mixed who have said to me, thank you so much for helping me understand what you're feeling, not just from a prophetic level, but from a personal level. I just want to say to all of you who are with us, who God wants to go with us to create what is necessary and absolutely purposeful, thank you. Let's do it. We're all in. We're going to embrace racism together, and who knows what this next year is going to look like. But you know what? Who knew what last year was going to look like? Here's the good news. I'm so happy to be able to do it with all of them and with all of you. Let's pray together. God, as we go into your word, would you just lead us and guide us on a path and on a trail that we don't even know we're going to go on? We're, we're going to go through the woods now. And uh, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And together throughout the de- today and, and this summer, we're just going to travel on this journey together. Teach us. Reach us. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Scott Garber. Hello, Bridgeway. Thank you, Dr. Anderson, for asking me to share what God has been impressing on my heart during these days. I'm going to invite you to travel back with me in time to April 3rd, 1968. There in the Mason Temple Church of God in Christ in Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. Martin Luther King is reaching the final crescendo of what would turn out to be his final public remarks. Seems that he expected some difficult days ahead. But Dr. King famously found consolation in the fact that he had been to the mountaintop and that he had seen the promised land. So here's my question to you. What did he see there? I think I know, because Dr. King's vision never really wandered very far from where it began. Way back in 1956, when he was just a young pastor and a head in in charge of the Montgomery bus boycott, he clearly articulated his ultimate agenda, which was not political power or even economic power. Rather, he insisted these were just means to an end. His real goal was, and I quote, the creation of a beloved community. I believe that on the other side of that mountain, Dr. King saw not only the milk and honey of equality, he saw that blessed ideal which he liked to call the beloved community. But let's keep rewinding that clock beyond 1968 or even 1956. Let's go all the way back some 2,000 years when another preacher found himself on the eve of his assassination. 
It's interesting that in his final hours, the Lord Jesus Christ was concerned about the same thing that so often occupied the mind of Martin Luther King, the beloved community. Now, maybe you want to time out right now because you're saying, what is this beloved community thing? Well, I've actually done some extensive study on this issue, and I've come to a pretty startling conclusion. In fact, it's nearly genius, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so here it is. A beloved community is a community characterized by love. Pretty clever, huh? <laughs> My point is that it's not actually that hard to comprehend. It's just really hard to do. Think about what Jesus is proposing. In John 17, he prayed that they, that is his followers, may be one even as we, that is father and son, are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. In other words, just like the Holy Trinity is a holy triunity, Jesus prayed that you and I, that we would be part and parcel of one another. That's a tall order. And what was to define this radically unified community? Well, Jesus had told his disciples that very evening, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The beloved community. Some people call John 17 the real Lord's Prayer. Some call it the garden prayer. I call it Jesus' unanswered prayer. Because the Christian church has always struggled with complete unity. In the first century, problems arose between Jews and Gentiles. And now in the 21st century, this community that Jesus founded, at least in its American incarnation, still finds itself more defined by color and culture than by love. Enter Bridgeway Community Church. I believe that Dr. Anderson and this congregation have been placed here by God for just such a time as this in the history of our nation to become not just a Bridgeway community, but to be an example of the beloved community. The thing about the beloved community is that it's not a status that you somehow achieve like getting a degree. Rather, it's a dynamic that you must constantly pursue, constantly be becoming a beloved community. And if you stop, you flop. So now is not the time for shrinking back, but for leaning into that calling. Now is not the time for retreating to our color-coded corners, even if, even if at times we might feel like doing so. Becoming a beloved community is a particular challenge in this day of polarizing racial tensions. We didn't choose our parents, so we all come to Bridgeway as whatever and whoever we are. Asian, black, Hispanic, white, other, or some combination of the above. But if you are a Christ follower, it's because you chose to follow Christ. And he chose you. So whatever other identities we identify with, 
We are most especially children of God. We are the ones for whom Jesus prayed that we would become the beloved community. If we want to be the answer to that prayer, it's going to take a special effort from each and every one of us. In particular, those of us who are white must step up to flip the typical historic script that we've been involved in. In the face of ingrained injustice, we must affirm that black lives matter. And if black lives matter, then black feelings matter and black experiences matter. Our job right now is to listen, to grieve together about what is broken, to repent of our complicity, to show our solidarity, and then to work arm in arm for real and meaningful and lasting justice. If there was ever a moment for gracism, this is it. And that goes for all of us because we either reach that promised land together or not at all. So as we come back together, let's come back together. Fully committed to one another and fully committed to becoming a beloved community. God bless you. Mm. Amen. That's good. Amen. Pastor Scott, I, I <laughs> love the concept of a beloved community. Thank you for reminding us of what Dr. King said and really what Jesus has prayed for. Do you think that in our time, and then I'll let others ask you questions or we'll have a conversation. Do you think this time, this, this moment that we're in, do you think it's a moment or do you think it's a movement? I think it's a, mo a moment that could lead to a movement, but it's, it's whether we step into this role and create something new and, and more radical than what has been that will define, I think, whether it's just a moment or whether it becomes a movement. If we just let it die, it'll be like so many other moments that have passed. You know, it seems like it's really great and really real and everything right now, but you know, if, if you're as old as I am or as, even as old as you are, you can remember lots of those moments, and yet here we are. So. You know, I'm, I'm cautiously hopeful, yeah. but I think it depends not just on the moment. It depends on the response of God's people to step hey. in. Amen. Any response or thoughts uh, to Pastor Scott? I, I have a question for you, Pastor Scott, and thank you for such a wonderful, wonderful message. How can we, as the body of Christ, be the example for the world to see that beacon of unity? How can we exemplify that and encourage the world around us to participate in that community? That's a really good question. I think that we are already doing that to some degree. I don't say this in the sense that, well, we haven't started down this path in some way. We obviously have a long way down this path. But as I said, you have to keep pushing because if you don't, then you go the other direction. So I think that our public presence and what people see when they come or when they tune in to what Bridgeway is doing and the different faces that are participating in the way that we work together is a powerful, um, powerful message in and of itself. But I do think that there are ways that we can explore um, working together in very practical ways for justice that we need to identify where we are seen actually doing things outside of this uh, environment also to make a difference. And I think that will help in the way that we project publicly on the rest of the world. At least that's my take on it. Thank you. Yes. Pastor Mitch. Yeah, Pastor Scott, thank you for that message. Um, it was very powerful, it touched my spirit, not just my head. And, um, you know, 
Jesus said in Ephesians 4 that we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I, I'm grateful that you, you couch that in the fact that it's Jesus, you know, that unites us ultimately. Um, and he says to endeavor to keep it. So that means we've got to put in work, right? So um, what are some things that sabotage that unity? Have you given that any thought? Can you help us out there? Things that sabotage the unity. Well, I think from my perspective, that the tendency that we, that when the pressure is on, that we do tend to retreat to our corners, that's, that's a big sabotage because that's the very time when we need to be talking with one another, sharing openly, being honest. Uh, speaking of honesty, I think the tendency to sometimes be overly diplomatic, to not want to hurt other people's feelings, and therefore not to say what we really think or what we're really going through is a sabotage because the only way that we get from here to there is, is to tell the truth mm. as we see it and then, and then help each other to work through it. If we just cover over those feelings, that's just not going to get us there. Mm. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott. And you know, as a part of the uh, beloved community, I know that this is a black, white, extreme issue, but there's so many cultures in the middle, right? Asian, Hispanic, and so many people mixed as well. And so when you think about the beloved community, it's not just the blacks and whites, but it's the Asians, Hispanics. I'd love to hear uh, from uh, William Jen, one of our ministers, of how you've been able to take in everything over the last uh, several months, maybe with regard uh, to race relations in the beloved community. And then Pastor Eli, if you can give us a, a quick response from what it's, what it's been like uh, for you, and then we're gonna have our next speaker come up. Uh, Minister William, Jen. <clears throat> I guess it was about three weeks ago when uh, before our Sunday worship service happens, uh, all the clergy members get together and we, we pray. Uh, only, I don't, only thing wrong with that prayer meeting is it starts at 7.15, <laughs> and I can't get up that early anyway. Uh, but um, when uh, George Floyd thing happened, um, first time in my life, I saw my colleagues in the same room uh, hurting and crying and going through that suffering. And I was dumbfounded. I, I, I was there, of course it was online, but I was there and, and I said, wow. You know, I've been so insensitive about this pain and suffering that my brothers and sisters are going through. And that taught me a great lesson at Bridgeway. Mm. Yeah. We're so glad that you're here, Minister William Jen. Uh, Pastor Eli Hernandez, from a Hispanic perspective, or even just your own personal perspective, how have you embrace this or try to even make it fit into your world? I'm still processing it. Um, there's all, all types of emotions going through it. Um, from a Hispanic perspective and dealing with a lot of minority families, they have their own issues of everything that we've talked about and all the, the pain and the suffering for many, many, many years. Um, so you got that side and then you got the other side that, that is Eli, which is an inner city guy. And the inner city guy um, have experienced this many times um, at first hand. And so, so I, I, was, I, I was and maybe am still a little bit emotional about it. Um, kind of trying to trust God through it all. 
um, and trying to stay away from a lot of the negative messages that are being put in the media because it just keeps triggering some of those pains. And so just to pull away as much as possible and try to maintain some level of sanity mm-hmm. is kind of where I'm at. And, and, and really praying and trying to be here to support everybody who's going through it right now because um, we're all going through it right now, you know, um, from different angles, you know. Uh, I, got, uh, my, I got two grandkids who are half African-American and half Puerto Rican, so I got to deal with them from that side. Right. Um, and I got a lot of family members who, who are just, you know, um, migrants, married to immigrants and all this different stuff. And so just dealing with all those different issues have been pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. And be pastoral along, that's which I think that's pretty the hardest part. Right. Human Eli has a response, has an emotion, and, and human Eli is ready to act on that emotion. Pastor Eli has another response and, and sometimes there's a battle between both yeah. um, and trying to figure out how to how to let Pastor Eli yeah. win. <laughs> I think all the clergy can say amen to that yes. one, right? Yeah, right? Amen. So anyway, thank you for your response and uh, Pastor Scott, thank you so much for talking to us about the beloved community. You know, somebody who's helped us build this beloved community for many years is Minister Nikki Lerner. She was our director of worship for many, many years. She's been a part of our church from her younger years to now her, let's say, middle age years. She is now uh, doing ministry, not only in, but beyond Bridgeway Community Church. She's still a minister here under our covering, and I'm so glad that she's going to bring us a word today. So let's hear it for Nikki Lerner. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Appreciate it. Hi, friends. Hey there. Hi, friend. Glad you're here to today. So I'm going to out myself for a minute at the risk of judgment. And that is, is that I don't prefer museums that deal with history. I remember even as a kid when I was younger, you know, going on the yellow school bus and filling out the permission slip to go to the museum. It was the last place that I wanted to go. And normally because historical museums that started to talk about our history as a nation only told two stories. Every time I'd walk into the museum, there was a story about people that were like me. And in that story, it was that my people were slaves and people that looked like me were slaves. And then there was the other story, which was people that looked like Pastor Dan and Minister Tracy, that your people were slave owners. Great, what a great history. Doesn't that feel great? I'm so glad that we jumped in the bus to come and learn about our history. Doesn't that sound great? But that's essentially how we've decided to have conversations about ethnicity and culture and come from in our country is very binary. It's either this or it's that. Until the day that my husband and I finally got a chance to visit the African American History Museum in DC. Have you guys been to this place? It's amazing, have you been? It's awesome. I walk in and what do I see? Us. I see us, our ancestry, more than slaves and slave owners. Did anybody tell you about those people in your ancestry that were abolitionists? Did anybody tell you about those people in your history that during the time that people that looked like me were slaves, that they were actually people who were thriving and who were working 
towards saying, not on my watch, not now. Anybody tell you that? I felt like when I went there, it was the rest of the story. I'm tired of dealing in binaries. The Bible says that we are fearfully, wonderfully made. My NL and the New Living Translation says, wonderfully complex. That sounds like you, and it sounds like me. But I love the fact that we come from such a rich ancestry, all of us. We come from people who had solid stock, who were excited about what was to come, even though it was hard. These are the people that we come from. The Bible talks about a spiritual ancestry that we come from. Do you know about your spiritual line? Because it's strong. It's full of people who made every effort, who moved forward even when they didn't see. And how did they do that? By faith. I know, you're like, oh, we're about to get all woo-woo. Yeah, get it, get it, get it, get it, faith, faith, faith. No, 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 I'm gonna read this to you today and I want you to in enjoy it and embrace it as something maybe you've never heard before. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse one says this. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Later in verse six it says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Have you ever felt like you can't see? Trust me, I've been wearing a mask for the last three weeks and I wear glasses, <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> but have you been in a place, maybe you're in that place now, given what's going on in our world, that you just can't see? You feel like something's blocking your vision? You feel like something's clouding it? And then you read scriptures like, but it takes faith. And just know that good old faith is the thing that helps us, gives us assurance when we cannot see. I can't see. Our ancestors could not see. They could not see a better future. They could not see a future where people were not just slaves and slave owners. They could not see a better future where there was freedom for all people and yet they pressed. Why did they press? Because of this faith that Hebrews chapter 11 talks about. Now Hebrews chapter 11 also talks about, you know sometimes we call this passage the hall of faith, right? Because basically it has this whole list full of people, our spiritual ancestors, who pressed forward even when they didn't see. They pressed forward even though they knew that God had promised them something but they hadn't been able to see it in front of their eyes yet and yet they pressed. May we follow in the steps of our ancestors First, our spiritual ancestors who said, I believe, I will have faith, I will press in because of who he is, the God that is unseen, but who does see. That is the God that we serve. So, in this moment, may we choose to follow in the line of our ancestors, not only here on earth, but the spiritual ancestors that have gone before us that are saying, go, go. 
you're going to make it. You may not see it, (laughs) but go, go. We have seen the goodness of the Lord, even in the land of the living. While we wait, may we press. Wow, that's like, uh, so I got a spiritualancestry.com. You should buy that. You know, that's fresh. That's fresh because I think we're stuck in our current uh, history and you just kind of opened our minds and reminded us that we go, we go way back and we have an ancestry yes. that, is, that is strong. Yes. Yeah. All but, of us collectively. Yeah. Thank you for that. Any, yes. any thoughts or response on Minister Nikki's word? Did you get Minister Nikki's word? Hold on to that. Chat it in the box. But this is a word. Pastor Scott talks about how King saw something beyond the mountain that he didn't get to. Minister Nikki is saying, we got to press till we get there. Y'all should be chatting it up right now. Talk about this because we're about to talk about it for a minute. What do y'all think? Can I say something? Sandy, please step right in. (laughs) Yes. Don't even have to ask. Just go. <laughs> um, I loved your message. Thank you so much You're for welcome. sharing that. And the first thing that came to mind is being in the 10th grade in Mr. Milstead's history class when he first taught black history, mm. the whole thing. And when I learned for the first time that we weren't just these extreme things, but there were people in our lineage that did great and wonderful things and that there were people in our history who loved the Lord, who followed them, followed him and, and who were great matriarchs and patriarchs. So um, thank you for sharing that. I think that it's so important for anyone listening to know that um, it's not just what you see in you know, just these far extremes, but there's so much beauty and so much strength and so much faith that's there. Thank you for that. Thank there you. is a richness. And think about how even our lives may have been different uh, collectively mm-hmm. to know more of the story, the in-betweens yeah. of these binary things that we think about. I mean, think about a spiritual history. If all that we ever knew was Adam's failure. Yeah. I don't know about you, but as a person of faith, that doesn't move me towards anything. Mm -hmm. It moves me towards more despair, more discouragement that there is no hope for Mm -hmm. me. But given that we have this beautiful collective ancestry, even spiritually, it changes how we view ourselves, the beloved community. It changes how we view the world. And I get excited about that. Amen. Mr. Gary. Nikki, yeah, just step in, y'all. Yes. Nikki, thanks for taking us to the Hall of Faith. And I've heard it also described as the Hall of Faith Works because everyone Mm. listed there did something. Yes. So you're encouraging us to press in, which I appreciate. In addition to just enduring and persevering, what might be some of the ways in which we can take that faith and convert it into works? I think the first thing is we have to check what we believe. Um, oftentimes I think without knowing it, we can start to rehearse uh, patterns of thought, patterns of speech that actually go against the idea of faith. I mean, how many times have something, uh, something happened in someone's life and they're unsure of something like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if God's going to show up. Well, I don't know. (laughs) That's the first place to start is when I can't see, when I'm clouded to say, no, I know that God is doing something. I may not be able to see it, but I know that God is working. That's the first place to start. And then the second place to start would be every single day to be fully present in a moment to say, Lord, how would you have me respond in faith? 
And oftentimes that can even mean you're standing in a Starbucks line and asking that question. God, how would you have me respond? Not just big things, God, how would you have me abolish racism? Whew, that's a, big, that's a big question and we may not like the answer. But I can certainly deal with in the moment, God, while I'm in this grocery store line, how would you have me respond in faith, right? We can deal, we can certainly deal with that on a moment by moment basis. And then those things start to overflow into the bigger moments. Pastor Dan. Nikki, I'm actually more interested in your emotional response of going through the museum just as a person. Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. Mm. Uh, Thank you for asking that. It was mixed. Um, I was nervous on the front end because I wasn't sure what I was gonna see. Um, there were uh, moments in there, there, were, there is a whole section of the museum that has to deal with lynchings. Um, I couldn't go through it. Mm. Just cause I'm highly visual and I know that at that moment, I, I can't do that, it's still, it's, that's still super fresh. Couldn't do that. However, the re- there was something about the rest of the museum that I, reading these stories about you know these prominent black women who were thriving during these times that other people were suffering and and people from Spain and Portugal and all these different countries of people saying, no, this is, we will not stand for this. Um, it was overwhelming. Mm. There were tears, there were chills. I went with my husband who's white um, and I left there feeling a sense of yes, yes, even if I don't get to see it in my lifetime it is worth it. Yes, it is something to give my life to because look at all the people that went before me. All of the work that has been laid in our collective ancestry, it's worth the press. Mm. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks for asking. Thank you so much. You're welcome, my joy. Uh, Nikki Lerner, one of our wonderful uh, ministers. I remember my experience when I went to the uh, African American Museum of History, Art and Culture, and then uh, I remember taking uh, Dr. Barbara Williams Skinner, an African-American civil rights and human rights leader, along with the former KKK grand uh, wizard, uh, Dr. Richard Harris from the state of Indiana is where he was a KKK member together with uh, those two and a couple other folks. We walked through and when we got to the lynching part and we actually got to a part where there was KKK finalia, he stopped and he says, I, I still have that in my house. And Barbara's like, yo, I I can't right now. And I said, we can right now. Let's have a word of prayer. You two are together right here, right now. Let's have a word of prayer. And the power of that, uh, I'll never forget. But you know, having taken hundreds of people to the motherland of Africa, I'll say this to you. And for those of you who are black Americans in the room and that are listening and watching, our history and ancestry doesn't start with American history. That's another thing that we've learned, uh, you know, is that when we learn American history, you started as slaves. Can you imagine if starting as a slave is where your ancestry starts? But having gone back to Africa and now being a, a chief and king or whatever that all means with the great honor that comes with it in Nigeria, where I've taken nearly 30 people. Our history is kings and queens and and scientists and, I mean, philanthropists. It's amazing. So what would happen if when little black kids learn their history, it started with what their ancestries did and what they were before they ever got kidnapped? 
Can you imagine if your history starts? You were kidnapped and this is what happened to you. Welcome. How if you go back to what, what were you, who were you before then? Well, here's the good news. The good news is if we go back far enough, not only do we have our spiritual ancestry.com, but we actually have the one who says, I'm going to adopt you as my children. And uh, you might be someone else's child now, but when you come into a relationship with me, I'm going to call you a, a, a child of light. The good news is God makes sure that no matter who we are, we can come into a relationship with him and we can invite him into our life and we can be born again as a child of the most high God. Maybe we'll pray right now because maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what culture you are. Multicultural is great, but hell will be multicultural. The question is, are you going to be one of the ones at the throne worshiping the Lord from every nation, tongue, tribe, and language? And you can be because every woman, every man, every boy, every girl can come into a relationship with God because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down, to live a perfect life, to die a cruel death and to rise again from the dead, offering new life to anybody who places their faith in him. So if that's what you want to do right now, why don't you bow with me in prayer and say, Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I want to be saved from punishment and hell and separation from you. I don't want any of that. I want new life inside of me. And I know it comes because of what Jesus did for me. So help me to understand what it means to put my faith in you so I can have that spiritual, spiritual ancestry and heritage that Minister Nikki talked about. Thank you for coming to my life. I give my life over to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, why don't you text us the word fill me, F-I-L-L-M-E, it's one word, fill me, to 97,000 and say, fill me, which means I made that decision to follow Christ. Can you like have somebody give me a call or something? And guess what? We will. <laughs>